0: Hey creep, I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant, it may not end the way you want it to, but this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening. Weddings mean many different things to many people. For some, it's their chance to celebrate themselves and their milestones through life. For others, it is about the sacred union of two people coming together and pledging themselves to one another. And then there are some who see it as an archaic tradition that does nothing but symbolize the repressive nature of the church and its views on premarital sex. But creeps, Now, I'm not here to give my opinion, but I felt it fitting to put the good and the bad on display. For Cody Johnson, though, his marriage was nothing but a tragic fall from grace. For 25-year-old Cody Johnson, to him, his wedding day would be about the union of two people and their commitment in the eyes of God. But tragically, that marriage would only last eight short days. In a modest church in Montana, Cody Johnson and 22-year-old Jordan Graham serendipitously met, and as we've seen before creeps, it was love at first sight. The two of them quickly began dating, and while Cody wasn't particularly Christian, he had begun to fall madly in love with Jordan, who was indeed Christian, and so participated in the whole nine yards of those conservative social values such as saving yourself for marriage. Cody began attending church with Jordan regularly, as he tried to entrench himself more deeply in the things he saw as meaningful to her in her life. But according to Jordan Graham's friends, she didn't exactly feel the same way, or rather, she didn't feel as deeply about Cody as he did about her. Now, I'm not particularly a fan of public displays of affection, but friends of the couple later stated they never saw Cody and Jordan kiss not once, nor did they see them hug or even hold hands. And while Cody would try and spend every waking minute with Jordan, completely enraptured by her, it appeared Jordan was more distant and looked for excuses whenever she could to avoid being alone with Cody. Now, given those details, it came as a bit of a shock to all those that knew the couple, or at least saw the pairing through the perspective of Jordan's lack of mutual affection for Cody, that when Cody proposed to Jordan a year into the two dating, that she happily accepted and even went so far as to proudly post a, hey, look, I got engaged photo of the ring on her Instagram and Facebook. The two participated in the usual wind-up to the wedding. Engagement party, bachelor and bachelorette party, invites went out, the nuptials were the main topic of discussion leading all the way up to the day. And despite their lack of public affection displayed to one another, it appeared the day would in fact be a very happy one for both Cody Johnson as well as Jordan Graham. But on June 29th, 2013, the audience and witnesses to their union saw a very different picture. While Cody beamed, happy and joyful, it appeared Jordan was filled with dread. Or was it regret? Or no, perhaps it was trepidation. Marriage was, of course, an awfully large step. Perhaps it was only her sense of modesty or conservative Christian upbringing, but Jordan looked down during the entire ceremony not once meeting the gaze of her new husband. She appeared to be fidgeting and uncomfortable, and only once or twice cracked a brief smile. To all those present, it was more than evident that those smiles were more for show than they were out of happiness. Katrina Martinez would later bring to light the fact that Jordan was suffering from cold feet, and that Jordan had asked Katrina several times if she was making the right choice by marrying Cody. Immediately following the ceremony, Jordan even texted Katrina, saying, I should be happy, but I'm just not. And it appeared that it wasn't only the friends of the bride that were privy to the red flags and warning signs of a train wreck in the making. While it had been Jordan, who was unsure and uneasy, feeling uncomfortable about the union and, in fact, her friends who were the ones who were more enthusiastic, on Cody's side of the aisle, it appeared Cody's friends were the hesitant ones, While Cody proudly suited up and slicked his hair, getting ready to start a new chapter of his life, completely sure of his choice to marry Jordan, it had been his friends who had expressed their unease with the marriage. Cody's groomsman, Cameron Fredrickson, would later say he warned Cody not to marry Jordan, later saying she was just very distant and reserved. Their interactions with each other, well, it didn't seem like a happy, loving relationship that you would normally see. It was all just very awkward. But all the same, the wedding went forward, and when asked if they would take each other's hands in holy matrimony, the two said yes, and each placed a ring on the other's finger. Following the ceremony, Cody was elated and beamed with joy and excitement. He had married the love of his life, and they had their entire lives ahead of them to grow together. Meanwhile, according to a text sent to Katrina from Jordan, Jordan had told Cody that she was on her period and that she wouldn't have to consummate the marriage. And in an undeniably hostile tone, she had continued by telling him that if he tried anything, she would, and I quote, freak out. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're not wrong. Threatening your significant other on the night of your wedding in regards to consummating the marriage isn't exactly normal that isn't to say you have no choice you always have a choice whether or not you want to engage in sexual activity and you should always feel free to express that but i think we can all look at this in context and realize that this wasn't exactly the norm eight days passed after the wedding which was the last time anyone had heard from the elated cody johnson everyone assumed the newlyweds were lost in newlywed bliss too busy enjoying their time with one another but when Cody neglected to show up for work on July 8, 2013, friends, family, and coworkers alike began to worry that not all was well in the land of matrimonial bliss. Naturally, Cody Johnson's loved ones reached out to his new bride, Jordan. Jordan claimed he had just inexplicably gotten up, grabbed his keys, and left the day before, and that she had no knowledge of where he had run off to. It appeared to anyone seeking answers that Jordan appeared indifferent to the entire situation. There was one emotion, though, that Jordan felt freely to express. The harder Cody's loved ones pestered her and pushed her, looking for answers to their questions. Jordan fell into a fury, even going so far as to, at one point in time, grabbing her wedding ring, plucking it from her finger, and hurling it across the room in unbridled wrath. If her newlywed husband had just inexplicably gotten up and left, with no word and had not returned, why was Jordan not more concerned or even a little upset And why would her first move, in response to their questions, be to take off her ring as if it were a cursed weight on her finger and throw it? Given it was now a missing persons case, investigators quickly came to question Jordan themselves, shortly after family and friends had. When asked about Cody, Jordan told police that Cody had texted her that he had gone off on a drive with a friend. This was obviously a major departure from the story she had told earlier to Cody's loved ones. And when asked by police to produce this text, Jordan conveniently did not have the text message to corroborate her story. Investigators and family began distributing missing persons flyers and posters of Cody, pushing them into mailboxes, stapling them to electrical poles, presenting his face anywhere and everywhere they could think. Then after some time, they received some alarming news. Jordan told her friends that she had gotten an email the email had been addressed to her by one of Cody's friends, mysteriously named Tony S. Tony S. outlined in the emails that the search was useless. Tragically, Cody was dead. He had fallen off a cliff while on a trip to Glacier National Park, and that the search should be called off. Naturally, Jordan's friends pleaded and pressed her to show this email with the new illuminating information to investigators, and eventually she did. On July 11, 2013, investigators traveled out to Glacier National Park and were clearly overwhelmed by the immensity of the search area. Cody had reportedly fallen off of a cliff, but the park had no shortage of cliffs to search. Luckily, Jordan, Cody's newlywed, received a divine message from above. Apparently, she knew where Cody was, where his body lay. She had received a message from God, and that he was sending her on a clear path towards Cody, She got into Cody's car and drove herself as well as her friends Amy, Hannah, Cecilia, as well as Cody's younger 16-year-old brother Michael and drove to Glacier National Park to assist authorities. It appeared as they drove to everyone in the car that for the first time since Cody had gone missing that Jordan was in a surprisingly good mood, even singing in the car with her arm out the window waving in the wind. As the car came to a slow stop, The passengers of the vehicle could see that Jordan had taken them to a popular location in Glacier National Park, known as the Loop. The Loop consisted of a winding narrow pathway, which Jordan began to ascend with all those in the car. They looked down a 200-foot ravine as they ascended the climb, and Jordan looked about for Cody. Finally, she saw his lifeless, broken body, lying face down in the water, and calmly stated, Oh my gosh, it's him. Not everyone was as calm and accepting of Cody's fate, though. Michael, Cody's 16-year-old brother, was in such shock that he had to crawl back to the vehicle, crying with heaving sobs after seeing his brother's dead and lifeless corpse floating in the water. On the drive home, Jordan was in a somewhat heightened mood, as if the weight on his shoulders had finally fallen off after five long days. Jordan even said that now they had found where Cody's body lay that they would all be able to have a funeral and receive that closure they so deserved after this tragedy. She even, under the assumption that now they had discovered Cody's lifeless body on their own without the intervention of police, said that the cops can be out of it now. On July 16th, 2013, investigators brought Jordan in for a second time, which was unsurprising to anyone involved, as Jordan had found the body of her new husband through a supposed heavenly message from God. Clearly, police knew something must be up. There was something just not right with the picture being presented. Jordan had magically found Cody's body. Now, I'm not saying that miracles can't or don't happen, nor will I confirm if they ever do, but I will say that I hope we can both agree that God did not speak to Jordan in this instance. She just had a feeling. It was the one place Cody had told her that he wanted to see before he died. Without going completely into detail, the version of her story had already changed so many times by this point. Jordan claimed that she wasn't with Cody Johnson in Glacier National Park, but thanks to the technology of our modern age, surveillance cameras showed the couple entering the park together, driving with one another in Cody's vehicle. Jordan claimed that Cody and her hadn't been in any sort of fight or altercation leading up to his disappearance, but text messages that Cody had sent his friends before his disappearance claimed otherwise. And last, but certainly not least, investigators had discovered that the IP address of the email that had supposedly been sent by a man who was a so-called friend of Cody's, named Tony S. Well, that IP address was actually from Jordan's parents' home, and it was assumed that Jordan had written the message herself using her stepfather's computer sitting there confronted with the evidence against her, and I imagine partially shocked the police hadn't fallen for her miracle-based discovery of Cody's body. Jordan confessed to pushing Cody Johnson off of the cliff in Glacier National Park, claiming it was an accident. But like everything else Jordan had said up until this point, her claims and evidence gathered by investigators were again at odds. Cody had fallen off the cliff, head first. Both his arms were injured as well as his head, there laying at the bottom next to him when it was all said and done, a piece of cloth which had been thought to have been a blindfold. As far as the cops saw the situation, Jordan had told Cody that she had a surprise for him. They had driven to that popular spot in Glacier National Park, and then upon almost reaching the top, she'd asked him to put on the blindfold, and once standing at the peak where the ravine suddenly fell off before Cody took his blindfold off, Jordan pushed him. She'd planned it all from the very start, and this was no accident. With the evidence finally coming together in a way which was meaningful, in a way that began to speak for itself, in a way that a judge or jury would have a near impossible time denying, police arrested and charged Jordan Graham, who was now Jordan Johnson, I suppose. She was charged with first-degree murder and one count of making false statements to investigators. But by the time trial had started, with all that time waiting, Jordan had time to do away with the panicked, rush stories of images from God. She testified that she'd been having second thoughts about her marriage to Cody, which wasn't untrue, and then they had gone on a hike. She decided to approach the subject with Cody, but it ended up escalating into an argument. According to Jordan, Cody had grabbed her arm during the fight, and she defended herself, shoving him hard in the chest with both hands. He then stumbled 200 feet to the bottom of the ravine. Jordan, at another point, continued by explaining to the court that she had feared fulfilling her sexual obligations within the marriage. The idea of consummating the marriage had made her physically ill. According to Jordan, Cody wanted her to make him happy, but that he didn't care that it was causing her misery. As the trial came to a close, Jordan having remained obstinate to that point, that in fact it had been an accident and a justifiable case of defending herself against a man who she called her husband, but was actually a sexually perverted, deranged husband who wanted her to perform the most devious of sexual acts. Well, at the last minute, Jordan shocked the courtroom by changing her plea to guilty. By doing so, Jordan was able to accept a plea deal, downgrading the charges against her to second-degree murder. Jordan was sentenced to 30 years in prison on March 27, 2014. So Creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash Tales by Cole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly... Every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.